Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, welcome to all of you. We're glad you've joined us today. Yeah, I'm Randy Davis. This is Faith in Your Recovery, and we're glad you're listening in. But we want to challenge you here, and there's a little something that goes with responding to that challenge. We would love for you to shoot us a question or a comment or even an idea for an upcoming show about uh, this or any of our previous or future episodes. Let us know what you think. Challenge us with a question that will automatically enter you in a drawing for a free copy of our book, Recovery Conversations with Randy Davis. We hope to have volume one on the market in July. We'll be giving out 10 of those to our listeners. We'll draw the name from the hat, so make sure you get us your questions, your comments. Send that email to podcast at ablbh.org. Those initials stand for A Better Life, Brianna's Hope. One more time, podcast at ablbh.org. Get us those questions and comments. Thanks. We just want to hear from you and get you involved here even more so. Our guest today, Christopher Upton, affectionately known as Monkey. (laughs) We'll talk about that here in a minute, but he's given me permission to use that title. I don't want you folks to think I'm being disrespectful. That's what he's chosen. So welcome, Monkey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you. It's a little awkward to put it that way, but obviously you're okay with (laughs) I'll try to be okay. How did you get that name? Um, actually I got that nickname from a really good friend and ex-girlfriend. Like it was just an affectionate nickname. Okay. And it stuck. And that's, yeah, that's yeah. what you go by in this whole world today. Yep. It's stuck enough that even my own mom calls me it now. All right. Okay. So we're glad to hear that. And it gives you folks a little explanation. Monkey, tell us a little of, uh, of what life's about today. Huh? who you are, what's going on, and then we'll go back and discuss some of those darker times. Well, like you said, my name is Christopher Upton. I go by Monkey. Um, today, life's all about recovery, sir. You know what I mean? Um, I moved to Anderson about a year, year and a half ago, came to the halfway house called Bethel House, which is an amazing place. Came from where? Um, I came from jail, sir. Okay. Yeah, I live Here in Madison County? No, I... Got in trouble in Newcastle, and the judge sent me here thanks to my ex-fiance and me continuously calling the director, Mike, of the Bethel House, and then him contacting my attorney and my judge. I came here about a year ago and just really embraced the recovery community. The recovery community in Anderson is absolutely phenomenal, like... How is that? Give us a couple of uh, examples of how it's phenomenal and why the Bethel House is so important to you. Well, the recovery community is phenomenal because 
just about any day of the week, you can find a meeting anywhere, whether it's NA, AA, and even if you're an addict and you go, like, I myself, I'm an addict, but I prefer the fifth chapter house. It's it's close to Bethel House. It's comfortable. I've got to know the people there. And even though I'm not necessarily an alcoholic, I mean, I drink every once in a while, but they embrace you no matter what, as long as you want to quit using and you want to find recovery. It's about recovery. Yeah, it's that, not that's about what it's what all it's about. From. You know what I mean? It, it, it doesn't matter what your walk of life is. Where you've been, all that matters in this commu- in this recovery community is where you're trying to go. And as long as you're serious about it, you know what I mean. The the people they embrace you. Like I said, you know what I mean. I'm I'm not from Anderson. I mean, I I grew up in like Pendleton Ingalls area, but I moved to the east side of Indianapolis like 20 years ago. Came to Anderson. Didn't know really anybody. You know what I mean? And I got to the Bethel house, and our house manager, Scott, my first night there, he didn't make it feel like a sober living house or a halfway house. He sat down, and he talked to me and the guy that came with me like like we were family, honestly. You know what I mean? And it, it So you were accepted from the get-go. Yeah, yeah, from the get-go. You know what I mean? So he, the, the guy had to work in the morning, and he stayed up till like, 11, 12 o'clock at night, just just talking to us, you know what I mean, about our lives, about what we were trying to do there, you know what I mean, and the house, you know what I mean, and our... It sounds like they care. Yeah, yeah, you know what I mean, and most rehabs and other places like that, it's, it's a strict set of rules for everybody, and there's really no deviation. Our director is more of a case-by-case thing because not everybody's the same not everybody's recovery is the same exactly you know what i mean like me for instance when i first got there i needed structure i i had never wanted it but always needed it you that's know what usually I mean? the case that yeah. goes together those who need it most like it but least. it's it's not it's not the type of structure where you feel smothered by it and overwhelmed with it it's just enough structure for you if you want to get your life on track at your own pace. And the great thing about the Bethel house, our house is once you work through the program and you graduate, if you're not in a point in your life where it's time for you to go out on your own, as long as you're still following the rules, still working a recovery program, you don't have to go. You, you can stay as long as you need. I graduated Halloween night, and that was when my 90 days was up, and I'll be there a year, the 30th of next month. So is would you consider that your clean time, a year, basically? Uh, I've got, this Sunday will be 13 months clean. Congratulations. Okay. Thank you. You say that uh, you were into the drug side of things. Yes, sir. More than the alcohol. What drugs? Um, mainly heroin and then methamphetamine. How long? How long were you a, an active user? Uh, an active user? Well, I've been an active user of one substance or another since I was 10, 11 years old. How long goes that been? Since I've done heroin or? No, 
So how old are you? So when? Oh, you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, I'm, that's okay. I'm 40 years old. So 30 years of struggling with drugs of some yeah. using and struggling with drugs of some type. Is that accurate? That that's very accurate, sir. And it it started off. I was like 10, 11 years old. You know what I mean, started off with marijuana, and then hanging out with the older kids around where I lived, you know what uh, I mean? We hear that quite often. That yes. they were they were starting to experiment with other things and by I think thir- 13 14 I was doing pills and regularly. Co- yeah, pretty regularly and cocaine every once in a while. And then I had I had my first child at 25 and I started drinking pretty heavily. Because the mother of my child had CPS in her life from a previous child that she had before we got together. So I couldn't really do drugs because I was getting drug screened. So I started drinking quite heavily up until for about a year, year and a half. And then she gave me an ultimatum when my son was born. And oddly enough, when she told me it was the alcohol or him, I poured all the alcohol down the drain and... Didn't I haven't touched alcohol in probably, well, he's 15, so almost 16 years. Wow. You know I mean, it was just, it was a substitution sure. for a substance. That's but, usually the case. Yeah, but mm-hmm. all the other substances, it's, because in addiction, it doesn't matter what the consequence is, whether you're going to lose your kids or your job or your, your family or whatever, I mean, that's the horrible thing about drug addiction. Nothing comes before that addiction. Explain that to people the best you can who just, all they can say to themselves is, how could you choose the drug over the child, uh, the addiction over your family, over your life? What, how can you best define or explain that? Well, usually when people start using drugs, it's because of some trauma in their life or something like that, or they just don't feel like they fit in or they're good enough, you know what I mean? And the the horrible thing about addiction is it's an obsession in your brain, depending upon what drug you use, you know what I mean? So you've got this thought constantly running in your head, I need this, I need this, I'm not going to feel right if I don't have this. And then after a, after a while, because you changed the chemical makeup in your brain, you know what I mean? You don't feel right. It goes from a choice to a need. Yeah, and unfortunately, the, the drug that I eventually, through a horrible series of events, decided to mess with, it wasn't so much a, a mental need, it was an actual physical need, like, really bad sickness that came with it and you you just didn't, you don't want to feel that so whatever whatever obstacle you put or, or thing that you say well, okay well today I'm not going to use because if, if I use today for instance I'm a, I, I got to go to work and, and my boss is catching on he's going to fire me it, it, it doesn't matter because you have to schedule everything around that drug and not being sick and then it, it just it takes over, right? For instance, I normally don't talk about this, but right, me and my children's mothers, 
before I started heroin addiction, they they had, and CPS or DCS had got in their lives, and they had told DCS that which I was in in and out of jail, so I wasn't regularly in my kids' lives because I hadn't started using heroin yet, but I was using other drugs like, and DCS got involved and. It was pretty much after a while, the ultimatum was given. Either you get clean or this is what's going to happen. And I personally, I had some relatives die, and I I tried for a minute. You know what I mean? Like I would, I would time the drug screens with DCS to try and sure be able to get away with it. But I lost my brother or my uncle, and then sixty two days later, I lost my little brother, and. Both to drugs? Um, no, my uncle to, I don't know what exactly it was. Like, he was painting at, at this bus lot, and the fumes, because he had COPD from oh, smoking, wow. yes. got to him, and then, okay. but he did, he ended up taking a pill from a lady, and it slowed his respiration down enough that he just, he couldn't breathe anymore. Okay. And then my little brother actually died from... Using Roundup, like the weed killer Roundup. Yes, yes, I've heard of that yeah. happening. And yeah, he was um, he was twenty eight years old. You know what I mean? Never smoked a cigarette. You know what I mean? Lived pretty healthy and did a side job for a family friend. Pretty innocent death, it sounds like. Yeah, and I struggled with it for a long time because you know, I mean, DCS was involved in the middle of taking my rights from me and my little brother was like, he was an amazing dad his kids, when he passed, his kids were 10 and eight. And I think they had spent two nights away from him their whole life. You know what I mean? I was in and out of my kids' lives and like he, he was a great guy to do anything for you. And the monkey you guys are listening to today is a great guy. Like I like to help people, you know what I mean? Love spreading the message of recovery. You know what I mean? But Active use monkey, junkie monkey. I, I was a horrible person. So would you say up until a couple of years ago for that change? Is that anyways near close or um, help us out? It was about, even before, well, when like I said, I've been clean 13 months, but it it honestly took a few months for, it to, for the recovery to kick in. And like I've said it, my graduation to Bethel House and when my sponsor gave me my one-year token at Bethel House, if it wasn't for our director, Mike, and my co-manager, Scott, and Mike's wife, Kristen, them being the awesome people that they are, and, and making Bethel House not even feel like a sober living house, but a home, you know what I mean? Where no matter what you've been through, what you've done, that doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're there for recovery. And as long as you're doing that, you're, you're, I mean, even when we've had guys mess up and they, they've come back, like we, we accept you no matter what, as long as you're trying to change. And if it wasn't for those people being the awesome people they, they are, I don't, I honestly don't think I would have stuck around for the message to stick. So you'd be back to that junkie monkey. Yeah. You referred <laughs> yeah. to him a few moments ago. Oh, absolutely. You know what I mean? Like. Because that's the thing with addiction. All it takes is one bad decision, and you're right back in that obsession. You know what I mean? And You fall much faster than you climb. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
I I had some disappointments when I first got into recovery. My my youngest son it just turned six, and I was absolutely an absent father. Like, well, I was a deadbeat dad. Like, and when I got to recovery, I found out that my at the time five year old son thought I was dead because his mom would like show him pictures and you know what I mean like this is your dad you know what I mean whatever and but he never got to see me you know what I mean so he okay. he had no reason to believe yeah, yeah, you were alive you know what I mean that that's what you do with a relative that's that's passed away you show a kid pictures and and you talk about them but they don't see him you know what I mean and when right. I, when I first found that out guys like that that honestly rocked me to my core cuz I'd already lost the rights to my first two kids and you know what I mean for Thankfully, I have an amazing sponsor, and, you know what I mean, I called and talked to him about it, and I'm like, dude, like, how can, how can I rebuild from that, you know what I mean? Like, this, this kid thinks I'm dead, and for for about a solid two or three hours, you know what I mean, of, of me talking to my sponsor, I wasn't sure if I wanted to, you know what I mean? And But he let me know, you know what I mean, if you, and that's the great thing about recovery, if you're willing to put in the work, you know what I mean, because it's not easy, you know what I mean? And you're you're willing to work the steps that are outlined, whether it's NA or AA. I mean, they're proven steps. They've changed untold lives, you know, exactly. amounts of lives. If you're willing to put in that work, then who's to say that this kid won't get to know you? You know what I mean? And I did. You know what I mean? I put in the work. I've done the 12 steps. You know what I mean? I graduated my, my thing. And I've got to see my son... His mother brought him down here to Anderson one time to hang out with me for a little bit. You know what I mean? I video chat him every day on Facebook. Every day. And How old is he? He just turned six on the fourth of this month. Okay. And his birthday was on a Thursday, but Friday, the day after his birthday, his mother picked me up, and not this last weekend, but the weekend before. I actually got to go up and spend four days with him. You know what I mean? And... Like, now he, he knows me, you know what I mean? Like, me and his mother get along great now, right? That and, sounds good. Yeah. Uh, it, it sounds to me like the people in your life, your mentors, sponsors, uh, all of them together, your house leaders, they showed you they believed in you before you could believe in you, and you kind of thought, why not? Why don't I give this Absolutely. Can only go upwards. Like when I first got to Bethel House, because at Bethel House we had our house manager Scott, or our director Mike, our house manager Scott, and then like I think maybe a month or a month or so after I got there, we have what's called a chore manager. Like he's just in charge of like assigning people chores, checking the chores type thing. The guy that was the chore manager decided he was moving out. So they're like, well, we we need a new chore manager. And I thought, well, you know what I mean? That'd be kind of cool to have a little bit more responsibility in this this house that I'm living in, you know what I mean, that I'm basing my my future off of, you know Plus what I mean? Plus it allows you to get back yeah, and as a person. So I, I took that on, and then like I'm anybody that knows me knows I'm really picky about my hair. I go once a week to my amazing barber every Sunday, whether I need it or not. And I was, me, my director actually introduced me to my barber. We both go to the same barber. And 
I used to get rides from him to go get my haircut. And one day we were coming back from the barber and his son asked if they could go do something after the haircuts. And he said, no, I have an intake that I have to do. And Scott's not available to do it. And I'm in the back seat, Randy. And, and jokingly, I said, well, I'll do the intake for you, Mike. And he turned around and he said, would you really do one, monkey? And I said, well, yeah, I think that'd be kind of neat to learn. You know what I mean? Get to know the guy before he's introduced into the house as, hey, this is the new guy, so-and-so. You know what I mean? And, and be that first face that they see. You know what I mean? And so long story short, he, he let me sit in on an intake. And he was like, so how did you what'd you think about it? And I was like, dude, that's pretty cool. I, I, I would kind of like to do that again. And then it became, all right, well, if Scott's not available and I'm not available and we absolutely got to get this guy in, we'll have you do it. And I got to go tell the judge that I got in trouble with, was it last, last month in April, that not only did I go to the house and I completed the, the program, and, and I volunteered to do the chore manager and, and, and got responsibility. But last month, I got to go back and tell that judge, now my name's on the letterhead with the manager and the director. Like, I, I co-manage the house. Like, you know what I mean? And it's it's pretty amazing to watch guys come into the house that have never really been in, like, a sober living or any type of recovery type thing and, and just watch them grow is a person, you know what I mean? Like that builds you as well. Oh, doesn't ab- it? absolutely. Randy, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I, when I first started in, into recovery 13 months ago, our, our house, like most halfway houses requires what's called a 90 and 90, 90 meetings in 90 days. You know what I mean? One a day for, for the first 90 days you're there. And I would go to them, you know what I mean? And like my life's an open book, you know. What I mean, I, I I have no problem talking to people about recovery and and the horrible cho- choices that I made that led me to recovery, and so I would always share at the meetings, you know what I mean. But about a month or two ago, I was given the opportunity to start chairing my own meeting. You know what I mean? And to me, that's really cool. You know what I mean? To give back like that and and to host or chair a meeting. You know what I mean? And when I first started, it was a meeting that was kind of dwindling down. Like the first couple of times, I think we had like 10, 15 people. You know what I mean? Last Thursday, we were up to like 31 people. Wow. You know what I mean? Wow, and, that's awesome. Well, your fresh face with, you know, a different experience than what they had heard or been involved with. And you can speak from the, I've been there, done that, have the scars to prove it. But I'm rising above that, and you can too kind of approach, yes? Yes, ab- absolutely. You know what I mean? Like, So what would you say throughout your, your struggle, your battle with drugs, was your lowest point? And what was one of your first victories that kind of that lights on moment, aha moment, whatever you might call it. But give us that lowest spot. Was it maybe even the loss of your brother or yeah, go ahead. Um, see, there was, there was so many, honestly, Randy, like the loss of my brother, the loss of my brother hit me pretty hard. You know what I mean? But it is a 30 year drug addict. I've, I've learned a long time ago that, 
and that's what most of us drug addicts do. We mask our feelings, you know what I mean? So when my brother died, I, I, I went off the deep end. There, I don't think there was a time I was sober for about two years straight. You know what I mean? And, and not only did I lose my uncle, who was like a, a father figure, a best friend, you know what I mean? And then six, 58 to 60 days later, 62 days later, something like that. I can't remember the exact dates, but it was within two months of each, of each other. Then, boom, I lose my brother. And then two weeks after we bury my brother, I get a letter from DCS saying they're terminating the rights to my children. Wow, that's you know what boom, mean? boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. You know what I mean? And I haven't seen my oldest son or my daughter since 2015. You know what I mean, so you figured from 2015 to 2022, I had absolutely no want or desire to feel anything other than intoxication. You know what I mean? Like those, those were pretty low points. I mean, I've done, and that that's the one thing about, I mean, all drugs really. You know what I mean? We we do stuff for drugs that we wouldn't do when we're sober. You know what I mean? And when we look back on them, it it hurts. That's what keeps. A lot of people, and after losing my kids and my brother and my uncle, like a year or two, no, they let, we lost them in 15. In 2020, I lost my little cousin to a drug overdose, and he was like my best friend in the world. He was like a little brother, like we did everything together. And 12 hours before he died, I had overdosed. My mom actually came, and that was, that was pretty low for me, you know what I mean? My own mom had to come into my grandmother's bathroom and Narcan me three times to bring me back. And then 12 hours later, they we get a call that my cousin had died. That's a bunch. You know, I, yeah. I've never really struggled with drug-slash-alcohol addiction. Okay, we're all addicted to something, so I won't say I've never had an addiction, but not a deadly one that I can recall. But the fact remains, those who struggle with it, and even one out of it, wow, we can't snap our fingers and get them out of it. So what was an aha moment, lights on, man, I think I can do this kind of thing for you that's awesome that you said ask that because i've anyone in the anderson recovery community that's ever been to a meeting with me that was a what what brought you to recovery type meeting has heard this story good i me and my now ex she was my fiance at the time we were living in our car we had moved to We'd, a friend had found out, long story short, and he's like, no, monkey, that's not cool, dude. And, like, I've got this big house. You're, you're not going to live in your car. Come to Newcastle and stay with me and my wife. And I thought, well, this is an awesome opportunity. Like, we don't have to live in the car. You know what I mean? This guy at all, and his wife also were doing drugs. And another pretty low point in my life, you know what I mean? They were, they were methamphetamine users and about... A month after hanging out with good old monkey, they were using heroin intravenously, you know what I mean? And long story short, this guy had stole from me, and I found out, and because of the my volatile temper and, and just the way I was while using, when he found out that I found out, he got scared, and he called the police on me. 
I back in my using life, I, I was always known to carry guns. And I got caught by Newcastle police with a gun when they were coming into the house. And then they found drugs in me and my fiance's room and a pair of scales for weighing drugs. So I caught a dealing case. And while in this jail, this guy, at this, at this time, I didn't know that he was the one that told on me yet. I hadn't got the paperwork from the court. And he's video doing video visits with me and everything else. And some guys in the jail had told me about another halfway house here in Anderson, the House of Hope. And they were like, well, dude, you can get out of jail, monkey, in like 30 days if you just call this this guy at this House of Hope. And I thought, well, if, if I'm going to get this judge to sentence me to some type of recovery instead of jail time or prison time, I'm going to be serious about it. You know what I mean? So I, I stayed thinking about it, and I was flip-flopping back and forth whether or not I was going to do some recovery or if I was just going to try and get probation and then run which is what I had done my whole life. And the guy that had told on me came to do, he did a video visit one day, and like I said, he was also using, and he was sick. Pretty bad. And all I could think was, is he's whining and crying about, you know what I mean, how horrible it is. I started thinking, dude, it, at least you're in jail, monkey, and you, you know what I mean? You're eating three times a day, and you've got a shower, and you've got a bunk. I mean, yeah, we had that at the house that we all had stayed at, but all I could think, Randy, was if you get out of jail, whether it's the, through the House of Hope or probation or whatever, monkey, and you go back to using, you're going to be that same whiny crybaby that you're sitting here judging, dude, and you know you're... Uh, I knew that I was way worse than that guy was when I was sick. And it was the, that was my aha moment. And it was like, well, wait a minute. As long as I just go out and don't use again, I don't have to be that guy that couldn't look himself in the mirror. You know what I mean? That, that, that people didn't want around because you didn't know what you were going to get. So that became your moment of inspiration to move forward and maintain that effort. Yeah, and un but unfortunately, I, I did get out, and, and I went to the House of Hope, and it, that was it's a it's a really good program here in Anderson. If the listeners don't know, you know what I mean. It's changed countless lives here in Anderson, just like the other halfway houses here. Because, like I say, we have Anderson has an amazing recovery community. We have multiple halfway houses plenty of meeting areas but they have certain rules when you're from henry county which is newcastle courts yes and it's you cannot go back to to henry county for any reason unless the judge okays it well i broke that rule and i didn't use while i was in the house of hope i was going back to see a female and i it it came to light and I was asked to leave the House of Hope. They said I could wait for transport and go back to jail, or I could go on the run. Now, a little backstory before this. I've been going in and out of adult jail since I was 17 years old. 15 of the last 22 years of my life have been spent in a jail cell. So when they gave me the, the option, wait for this 
transport officer to come and take you back to jail or go on the run. No choice. The, the criminal in me said, no, we got we got to run. So, unfortunately, I messed up, and I went on the run. And I told the director at the House of Hope that I was not going to use drugs. He was He was crazy. He didn't know what he was talking about. 55 minutes after leaving the House of Hope, I overdosed and had to be Narcaned. I was only on the run for four days, and two out of those four days, seven or eight different nasal sprays of Narcan had to be used on me. I was overdosed two different times in four days, and the last time, the only reason that I, the only reason I'm here right now, speaking to you guys, or even alive, is because somebody was in the upstairs bathroom using it. So a roommate of the girl that I was staying with while I was on the run had to come down to the downstairs bathroom where I was in a full-blown seizure, blue, knocking on death's door, and she found me. Moments away from your last breath, most probably. Oh, absolutely. And when I came to, and like the next morning, the police surrounded the house. I went to jail, and all I could think was, dude, I am so— it was the first time, and like I said, I spent years, years and years in and out of jail, Randy— that was the first time as I'm being booked in, seeing these officers that I've seen before at the Newcastle jail. All I could think was, dude, I am so lucky to be here right now. So let's let's think as somebody else who was in the battle much like you were. You know, they were in and out of jail. They were struggling on and off with drugs. They Narcan today, Narcan uh, the next week and so on. What's the advice you would give to that person? Or if if you'd have heard it, what is the advice you'd have given to yourself eight, ten years ago? That's That's a tricky one. The only advice I could give for somebody that's going through it is you will always, always, always find a reason to get high. Say you know that I mean? again. You will always find a reason to get high. Okay. Whether it's my my car has a flat tire, I have a hangnail, my wife or my husband yelling at me, whatever it is, we're addicts. We will always justify getting high by by any means because that's that's the Part obsession of the, of the addiction. My advice is, and it was something that somebody said to me in a meeting when I first got there, and you hear it all the time, really. You got to find something worth staying sober for, and. It, it, and we say in recovery all the time, like you, you can't get sober for your judge, you can't get sober for your wife or your kids, because it'll always be okay to let those people down. You know what I mean? Or you, you will always like me. I was, I had my mother guilt trip me, girlfriend, countless girlfriends guilt trip me, and like you don't love me if you won't get sober. I love you, but I know I'll disappoint you, and you'll forgive me. I always, I'll always make an excuse, and you'll forgive me. And if not, you'll walk away, and I'm okay with that because my drug will still be here. You can manipulate others. It's oh. a little harder to manipulate yourself. Yeah, yes. so you have to get, for one, you have to get sober for yourself. You you just got to, you've got to be sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what I mean? You have to be done suffering. But once you hit that done suffering spot and you've lost enough, you've hurt enough, it, it, doesn't take much for someone to want to go back out if they're not for one if you're not doing an active program like working the steps sponsor meetings 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 
meetings are the lifeblood of recovery. You know what I mean? But once you once you get into that spot, you got to find something worth worth dedicating your life to, worth, you know what I mean, something that makes you want to stay sober. You know what I mean? Me, personally, like I shared in a meeting the other day, mine is my my son. You know what I mean? I love that little dude looking him on that video chat or, or just playing with him when I was up there a couple weekends ago and hearing him call me daddy and tell me he loves me. Dude, that's awesome. That is such an awesome feeling to know that I created that little person. He's half me. You know what I mean? And my main hope and goal is I've only got like three more years for my son, my oldest son, because of behavioral issues. He wasn't adopted out. That The state won't tell me where he is, but as, as human beings, we want to know where we came from. So I know that he's going to look me up eventually, and I'll be able to tell him, look, buddy, I, I know that daddy messed up through through drugs and, and, and bad decisions. Dad messed up, but but here's what I've done with my life while you were gone. I'm not messed up. I, I'm not yeah. messing up now. It's past you know what I mean? Tense. Yeah, I messed up, but here's why I fixed my life, and I'm sorry. You know what I mean? How can I make it up to you? You know what I mean? And I... Before I got to recovery, I had no, no goals. Like I say it in the meetings all the time. You know what I mean? I, I never wanted a regular job. Like I was not, I was not going to clock in and out nine to five and, and, and pay taxes and all this other stuff. And when I got to recovery, I found what started out as just a job to pay, to pay my rent and my child support. And it turned into almost an obsession, Randy. Like, I, I, I found welding. You know what I mean? And welding? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I, I Great occupation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. It's awesome. I work for a small, a small well, we're, we're getting pretty big. We've got a few plants in Elwood. Who is it? Uh, Steelmark. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. I know a couple of the guys from yeah. there quite well. That, I, uh, I've ran a few of their lines there at Steelmark. Like, I... I some days are a little rougher than others, depending upon what they're going to have me welding on, to be honest. But sure. You know what I mean? I, I I wake up every day and I go to do something that I enjoy. You know what I mean? And and that's my main advice. Wake up every day and find something to do that you enjoy. You know what I mean? I don't care if you're in addiction, out of addiction, if you've never thought of addiction. That's powerful advice. Yeah. When you can do what you enjoy, you quit working. Yeah. It's, when your passion's your job. Yeah, it's an extension of life. I've been blessed to be able to be there for thirty-five or forty years. So, as you, as you know, monkey, the name of our podcast is Faith in Your Recovery. What do those four words mean to you in your experience? Faith in my recovery. Well, I mean, honestly, if you don't have faith, like faith is a belief in something that you can't see. You know what I mean? You can't see it, you can't hold it, but you believe in it. You know what I mean? And that's one of the first things we say in recovery is you have to get a higher power. You know what I mean? Whether it be my personal higher power, like I was raised from a small kid by a Catholic grandmother, you know what I mean, like in the church. My my personal higher power is is Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? That's That's not everybody's, you know what I mean? But... Nope. It's, I'm asking you the question, so that's a good answer. You know okay? what I mean? It's and that's what we say in in the meetings and in the readings and in the literature, a God of your own understanding, you know what I mean? 
But to me, you can't have recovery without faith. You know what I mean? Because you have to have faith that every day you can wake up and decide not to use. And some days, Randy, it's not even, I'm going to wake up today and I'm not going to use. It, you wake up and it has to be for this minute. Exactly. For this minute, I'm not going to use. And you go by minute by minute, you know what I mean? And I get that phrase one day at a time. Oh, absolutely. Sometimes one day's too long. It's got to be a half a day or yeah. the next hour. Next minute, as you just said. And uh, then it builds up. Yeah, like I, I honestly, like I said, when I got my, like I told the guys at the house when I got my one-year token, when I first got to Anderson and to Bethel House, I absolutely did not see me having a year, you know what I mean, almost 13 months clean and sober. I Never had, right? Yeah, the longest For I had ever had, I think, was like maybe two months when I got put on probation one time, and then I was smoking weed, and then once I started doing that, I just kept on going with other stuff. I mean, I've, it's the longest amount of clean time and sober time that I've had since I was 11 years old. That's, I I get it. I understand the numbers. I've heard it over and over, but that's quite an accomplishment. Congratulations. Thank you. On the work and listening to others. Yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest things you have to, we have this awesome older gentleman and the, the meetings that I go to, his, his nickname is affectionately Cupcake, Cupcake Dave. And he, he's a great guy, but he tells you one of the first things you got to do is sit down, shut your mouth, and open your ears. Good advice again yeah. for anybody anywhere, okay? Yeah. Cause, so, is there anything you'd like to close here with, Monkey, as we wrap this up? Uh, about the only thing I'd like to close with is if, if you're out there and, you know what I mean, you're, you're struggling in addiction, whether it's drugs, alcohol, whatever, because like you said, we all have addictions. You know what I mean? Just know that recovery is possible, you know what I mean? No, ma- no matter what you've done, you know what I mean? Because that's why my little cousin died, an active user. The guilt of what he'd done while using and to use kept him kept him using no matter what you've done in life, you know what I mean? You're worth a shot at recovery. You hear that, folks? You're worth a shot at recovery. We believe that here at A Better Life. Brianna's Hope through our podcast, Faith in Your Recovery. So once again, Chris Upton, Monkey, thank you. Thank you for your time, your story, your honesty. And uh, I like I like where you're headed, buddy. Thank you for having me. Well, good thing to have you here with us today folks we hope you're blessed continue to tune in for our future episodes take care amen